Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. This is our last recording of 2022, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. We've got uh, we got a great topic. We're going to be talking about fees. You got to say Happy New Year, Jeff. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, all that good stuff, Bruce Kelly. Uh, Bruce Kelly co-hosting with me as always, and uh, we have our our guest this week is Chuck Rowland, Senior Vice President, Business Development and Advison. Uh, Chuck and his team have recently completed some research looking at uh, some trends in the financial advisory space related to fees. As I've said often, and I will continue to say until it changes, I have never seen an industry anywhere in the history of time that has found so many different ways to charge for essentially the same thing. You've got commissions, flat fees, asset-based fees, fees based on net worth, fees based on income, hourly fees, retainer fees. Uh, it goes on and on. But uh, we're going to talk today about what uh, what Chuck is seeing in the in the trend space. of uh, so, so Chuck, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, hey, Chuck. Tell us about Advizon first a little bit. Introduce the firm to us, and then uh, we'll talk about your, your research, okay? Advizon is a technology tool. It's built specifically for independent financial advisors, and it's designed to be a consolidated product. So within the Advizon technology platform, we're combining six core components under one umbrella, and that includes performance reporting, billing, CRM, document management, you have two different client-facing tools. It's a client-facing portal as well as a client-facing app. And the sixth component is a trading and rebalancing piece. So we roll all that into one spot in order to deliver a very powerful and efficient offering for independent advisors. So it's back in middle office services, essentially, right? Essentially, that's, that's right. That's exactly okay. right. You, you guys do a lot of research. I see a lot of the stuff you do, but uh, this is something that you and I talked about a few days ago. Let's talk about this research you did on advisory fees and some of the trends that you're seeing, and we'll, we'll kind of dig a little deeper from there, but I'm going to let you introduce the research, okay? Absolutely. This is an idea that we came up with about two years ago. Uh, this is designed to be an annual study, and this is the second annual piece that we have put out here that evaluates how independent advisors are billing their clients. As you mentioned on the, on the front end, there's a lot of options. And we felt like we were in a unique spot to present some really interesting data. We serve just over 1,200 unique firms all across the country. And we were able to extract data from the Advise on Billing tool to provide some interesting insights around how people are actually billing. Hit us with a couple of your key takeaways here. Well, one is that there is no right answer. You know, there are lots of different ways to bill. You know, our tool accommodates all these different options. But some of the things that we're seeing that are trending, and since this is the second one we've done, we are able to start reporting some of the trends, are things like a increase in the number of advisors that are billing monthly, as an example. An, an increase in the number of firms that are using an average daily balance, an increase in the number of firms that are billing using a flat rate as opposed to a variable rate or an AUM rate. 
Those are some of the things that we thought were pretty interesting from this study. I want to talk first about the flat rate because that's basically their charging or whatever they agree upon as far as a fee they're they're breaking it down quarterly or monthly for the most part what i kind of take away from that is if you're a financial advisor and you're watching the markets go down and, and you know we're kind of toggling around bear market territory we're not technically in bear market territory but the s&p is down i think more than 17% this year your fees are pegged to client account balances. When fees are going down, you're getting you're making less money. So shifting to a flat fee model, that seems to make your income a little bit more predictable, right? Do you, I mean, do you think that could be a driver at all? I think that's definitely a driver. There's a stability component here and a predictability element that I think certainly contributes to this. Another thing that that I believe is a positive for this sort of billing mechanism is that I think it properly shapes the service and the value that advisors are giving their clients today, right? Again, if you contrast this to an AUM-based model, which is still wildly popular, right? Billing based on AUM is the most popular way financial advisors are billing. Well, billing based on AUM really trains the client to see that, well, the most important thing in this relationship is the value of this account that this person is managing. Whereas there's all these other services that advisors are providing now, right? Planning's a basic example. You know, advisors are providing planning and historically the planning has almost just been positioned as, well, this is just something I do. It's an add-in, it's a throw-in, but the way you pay me is the size of your account. Whereas if you position it as, here's a flat fee, and there's going to be a lot of different things that I'm giving you throughout the course of our relationship, I think it, it, it kind of takes away the emphasis on what's the value of my account, and it creates the advisor value positioning. Again, I think it allows them to focus on some of the other services that they're providing in addition to investment management. You would think advisors would want to do that, right? I mean, I would think, but because they always talk about all these other services that it's it's not just portfolio management, but you can't get around the fact that it's really easy to bill and make the case for uh, fees based on assets, right? Completely. It's that whole Absolutely. run the same side of the table thing. I agree. And I, I think that's one of the, if, if there was a drawback or if there was an objection to the flat rate style billing, it is that. It's that if you're charging a client a flat rate, the advisor does not take a hit when the client takes a hit in a market decline or due to poor performance. So, so I, I, I absolutely understand that you know particular aspect of being a potential drawback to the flat rate charge. Yeah, and I just wanna, I'm quoting your research here now, just so we have some specifics on this. You said that in 2021, a year ago, uh, about 26% of firms were using a flat fee and your more recent research just produced, just published uh, 39%. So 13 uh, percentage point difference there. And just to be clear, when you you're you're saying that you know the percentage of firms that use a flat rate fee, it doesn't mean they don't 
use other fee models as well because a lot of firms have multiple fee models they'll do some clients AUM some flat maybe some retainer or hourly correct very few of these firms are going to go all in on one style so the the numbers represent you know when when we say a 39 percent of these firms are using a flat fee it could be one advisor using a flat fee for one client within that firm right but most of these firms are offering multiple strategies in terms of billing. And also your research shows that firms with up to 100 million in assets under management, 35% of them are using, have a flat fee option versus 44% for firms above 100 million. And I'm assuming that just that just makes sense. You've got a larger firm with more clients. You're, you, like you said, it could just be one client at that firm, right? Yes. I don't, I don't, I don't read into that and say that you know there's a reason why large firms are doing it versus small. It, there's just a higher likelihood that they are because there's more advisors and more clients. The billing cycle. This is something I found kind of interesting, and I don't even know why it is this way. But you saw, I think, a trend of more firms embracing monthly billing as opposed to quarterly billing. And I don't mean more firms overall, but that number of, of firms that are that are uh, billing monthly has been increasing. Why is that? I don't understand. I mean, is there a reason or is it just simple? Is there technology making it easier or what? There's a technological component to it, right? I think we'll we'll talk about average daily balance a little bit later in the conversation, and and that that very much ties into that as well. There's also the idea that you know monthly billing is going to smooth out the cash flow a little bit for a firm, right? I mean, so there's so many advisors that bill quarterly, and that means that in many cases they're being paid quarterly. Whereas if they transition over to a, to a monthly style, it's going to smooth out their cash flow. It's also going to give the advisor the opportunity to take 12 snapshots of a balance over the course of a year versus four, which, you know, I think you would say is going to be a more accurate representation of the values that they're actually managing. Well, I was kind of wondering if that wasn't more of a also a market volatility type play. You know, because you could have, especially when we're seeing some extreme market swings, I mean, stocks have been, have done fairly well this fourth quarter. I think they're actually positive for the, for the fourth quarter. But uh, if you're, if you break that down monthly and I don't know, is that any, that make any sense to you? A reason to go quarter, uh, bi uh, monthly? It does. I mean, particularly, I mean, in a declining market, you know, monthly billing is, is going to play in the advisor's favor, whereas in a rising market, it's not. But I think that that, that is part of it. You know, so much of what happens with, within billing, particularly within the, the independent space, you know, about a third of the firms that we, that we work with that advise on are firms that are starting their practice, right? So these aren't folks that are brand new to the industry. But they're people that are in transition, they're starting a new business, they're, they're leaving a wirehouse and starting their own RIA, or they're leaving an independent broker-dealer and starting their own shop. And a majority of those firms, when they think about billing, they just simply say, well, how have we billed before? And the way they billed before was however the organization they worked for told them to bill. And most of the time, the most common mechanism for billing is 
either quarterly in advance or quarterly in arrears. So these folks have been doing this for who knows how long. They create their own firm and they're in their mind, they just think, well, I have to bill quarterly in arrears. Well, we allow them to take a step back and we ask them questions like, well, why not get paid monthly instead of quarterly? Well, I didn't know that was an option, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd much prefer to get paid monthly versus quarterly, right? So, you know, technology is, is certainly a factor here. Uh, being provided choice that, you know, they haven't had before is the factor here. Market volatility is a factor. So I think there's a lot of different things that go into these trends. Okay. Bruce, anything for Chuck? Yeah. Hey, Chuck. Hey, Bruce. Thanks for coming on. If you hear some, if there's some clanking going on in the background, that's just my radiator in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I got a Frankenstein. It's one of these old New York City apartments. You know, it's like I got Frankenstein beating on the cast iron over here. <laughs> What's interesting to me is I, I cover more like the lar I've covered in the past, more of the larger institutions that have this kind of three-month billing cycle, right, that you describe. And your clients are the people who come out of that. Jeff has covered the independent RIAs for longer than me, much longer than me. So that's kind of where he's coming from and all this billing stuff. And I look at it as more of an institutional, large institutional thing. Your clients, though, are kind of breakaway independent RIAs, right? They are. We, we serve RIAs very heavily. Not, not all of them are breakaways, right? About a third of the new firms that come on board with Advison are breakaways, whereas the other two-thirds are existing shops. So, and that universe is, is somewhere around, like the whole kit and caboodle, right? Is like fifteen to 18,000 RIAs. Correct. Right. Something like that, depending upon what research you look at and who's counting in whatever method. And there's like three, 300,000, 320,000 registered reps who are, you know, investment advisor reps or broker reps. Right. My concern over the years has been more on those guys than the 15 to 18,000 we're talking about here. And that larger number that encompasses everybody from Merrill Lynch to Ameriprise to LPL to on down. So I think just as a broader question, in your dealing with these people who are trying to sort out how how is it the fairest way to bill people? How is it the fairest way to bill my clients? Right, the best way, the fairest way. What? Why hasn't there been more fee compression? on that institutional side of the business where fees are still opaque, right? Clients can't, don't understand exactly what it is they're paying for. As Jeff noted, when we kick this thing off, there's all kinds of ways to pay and no one really knows how they're being charged, it seems. And the disclosure is terrible. You know, what's just kind of your, 30,000 foot take on that if you need 30,000 feet. You know, Bruce, I'm obviously biased towards the RIA side. Really? Right? I mean, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's where I, that's where I spend, that's where I spend my time, right? So there's, so there's my uh, page of disclosures on the, on the front of my, on the front of my answer. You know, I've, right. I've been working with RIAs going back to, to 2009 and I, certainly hold a bias towards towards that business model within the advisory community and you know obviously and that bias is what 
you know, I, I think I, I think that the RIA is the way to go for it's not for everyone. You know, I wouldn't I would never say that, you know, every financial professional out there should be you know, on the independent side, because I don't, I don't believe that to be the case. But I do think that being on, on the RIA side, I think it allows advisors to have a little bit more control around their practice. You know, how they bill folks is just one of many examples. The technology they use is another example. Yeah, the investment management choices they have, the services right. they have, all that kind of stuff. Right. I mean, all all the how many clients they want to work with. Right. right. You know, they're they're not. Yeah. You know, depending on the size of firm that they're with, right? Because there there are going to be RIAs that operate more like one of the larger firms that you know you mentioned, right? Uh, whereas there's also going to be RIAs that you know are maybe two or three or four advisors that have hung out a shingle and. They're operating the way they see fit. So these people aren't escaping compliance by any means, but it, it does create a lot of freedom and flexibility to really focus on their client base the way they see fit. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. We've we've talked about we've talked about this before. I mean, asset management fees, mutual funds have calmed down dramatically, right? But you haven't seen the all in one percent, you know. Back, kind of the back of the envelope number of 1%, some less, some more fee change across the wider brokerage industry, the 1% annual fee for advice. And then there's the other fees that the large firms tack on top of that, right? For asset asset management, you know, and, 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 and the like. Bruce, you know, so, speaking for the advisors that we serve specifically here at Advise On, you know, I think what, what you would see is that while the fee itself maybe hasn't changed all that much over the years, the services that they're providing have increased quite a bit, right? We alluded to this earlier where, I mean, ultimately this business was built around pure investment management, whereas, and someone might charge 1% for that service, well, someone may still be charging 1% on assets under management, but in addition to investment management, they're also providing the, the planning elements, whether that's retirement planning or college planning. There might be estate planning elements. There's tax planning elements. So I think that advisors are becoming more feature rich in their offering while the, the fee has, you know, not not necessarily gone down, but it has been pretty stable, right? The fees haven't gone up either. So I think that's something that is important to note as well. What do you think the influence of this private equity money that is backing all these RIA aggregators could eventually have on fees? This is, this is something I ponder about uh, from time to time, and my children don't like to hear about it, but I still make them listen. With the private equity managers coming in, they're they're basing their overall return on a certain fee structure, say the one percent. Absolutely, there has been a lot of interest within so the space. So, in my mind, if I'm a private equity, if I'm Bain Capital or, or Reverence or whoever who's buying these firms up or CI Financial, that means my fee can't. <laughs> the fee that my advisors charge is never going to go down. Because I gotta have that fee to make the pay to make the return I need the multiple 
I need to hit of 20 or 30 or 40 times EBITDA to uh, make this deal work for my investors, right? I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's, it sounds like a philosophical question, but in some ways it's a real world, world question too, right? The private equity firms have been really interested within this RIA space. Now, because it's so profitable. Because it's extremely profitable. Right. Now, I think you have to look at the RIA space as a whole, right? There, there are thousands of RIAs that exist depending on... Some are more profitable than others. Are. No one's the same. Right. And, right. You know, and the, the firms that are attracting the private equity interest, it, it tends to be the largest firms, right? It's, it's the top one or two percent. It's, it's definitely right. not the, the mass right. majority, right? I mean, if you, if you go into those databases and you average out all of the RIAs that, that exist, I mean, the, the average AUM of these firms is not billions of dollars, right? Uh, if you were, I mean, the, the number of firms that manage a billion or more is a relatively small percentage, right? Most- It's in the hundreds. Right, it's small, exactly. Right. It's small. Yeah. And, and that's where you're seeing most of that, that private equity interest. But you know, those, those folks are definitely gonna wanna return and whether they get it by changing fees or focusing on efficiency, you know, that's to be, to be determined, I think. But um, it is something that's interesting to watch within our space. Yeah. Okay. Jeff? Yeah. Um, I want to go back to uh, the average daily balance uh, billing thing that we, we kind of talked, we just glossed over it in the beginning. But I, I think that's interesting also. That's something else you're seeing you're seeing more of, right? We are. We are seeing a slight uptick in that. It's Again, it's still the minority. But it's gone up from sixteen percent in twenty one to nineteen percent in twenty two. And let's let's explain what that is, okay? If you absolutely. Want to mind. So, from a when when you're billing a client, and this applies to an AUM style billing, which as we've established is much more popular than flat rate. Generally, the balance that's being used to calculate the fee is the balance at the end of the month or the end of the quarter. Right, so, so let's use quarterly as our, as our benchmark. So if an advisor is charging their client 1%, then four times a year, they go in, they draw a line in the sand, they look at the balance of the client's accounts, and they charge them 1% based on that balance, right? So market moves, deposits are coming in, withdrawals are going out four times a year, they take a snapshot, and they bill the client. The average daily balance mechanism, in contrast to that, is going to take the balance of the account or accounts every single day within the period, average it out, and base the billing based on that. So you could bill monthly, you could bill quarterly, it doesn't matter. Either way, you're taking the balance each day, you're averaging it out, and that's what you're using to bill. I mean, that seems like the most fair way, right? If you're, to me, it, you definitely take out those, those big swings. I mean, Jeff, one of the things I think about with this is if I'm a client and my advisor is explaining to me how he or she is going to bill me and they say they're going to use an average daily balance mechanism, what objections do I have to that? Right. I can't think of any, Right. Again, this is technology enabled, right? Because uh, in the past, if somebody wanted to do something like that, it had to be prorated 
and all that. I think that's math, the reason right? why it, it is less prevalent than other mechanisms, even still today, is because it is more difficult for the advisor to calculate, right? And within the subset of the market that we serve, most of these advisors within this independent space they're required to calculate their own fees. Now, most of them are using technology to help them with that, but not all of them are, right? There are still advisors out there that are using Excel to calculate their fees, believe it or not. But without a solid technology tool to help you, it is more difficult to do an average daily calculation than it would be just taking four snapshots a year. My last question for you really is a kind of an open-ended one. What what kind of a tr what kind of trends are you seeing in the fee structures? Do you do you, do you see a point down the road when asset based fees are not dominating the advisory space? If if that's the case, I think it takes a really long time to get there. You know, as we've talked about, asset based fees are still extremely popular. They are easy to calculate. It's pretty easy to explain and the advisor is able to position themselves as when you win, I win, when you lose, I lose. And so, you know, does it ever fully go away? If it does, I don't think it's anytime soon. But some of these other styles are beginning to emerge, which I think is pretty fun to watch. All right. Well, good stuff. Chuck, thank you very much for breaking it down for us. We'll keep an eye on these, uh, these fee trends because we know our audience loves to hear, uh, loves hearing us talk about fees. So, Chuck, thank you very much for being with us, and uh, Happy New Year. Uh, we'll, we'll hope we'll all have a great and prosperous 2023. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. I've enjoyed uh, spending the afternoon with you. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Look forward to do it again soon. Hey, it launches every Monday. If it's Monday, it's time for another episode of the Investment News Podcast. We want to thank our special guest this week, Chuck Rowland. We also want to thank uh, our producer, Angelica Hester. Of course, you can find the podcast at investmentnews.com. Look for it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Please follow us on Spotify. If you're still on Twitter, uh, you can reach Jeff there at... And his handle is at Benji Ryder. Mine is at BD News Guy. Just want to say Happy New Year to all our listeners. We really appreciate you uh, hanging in there to the end of every episode with us. And stay tuned because we will be talking to you next week. Bye.